BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Happy wintry Thursday. We're coming to you a day early this week because sometimes you just can't wait another day for a great, <laughs> a great political conversation. Absolutely. So here we are, Greg Hughes, Mara Carabello, and Heidi Hatch, all in the house here to talk uh the week's most exciting. Oh my gosh. I'm like Do choking, I need to just take over here. right now? <laughs> I will start talking. I will start. I'm filibustering right now. I was choking on my own spit. Is that disgusting? Oh my yeah, gosh. You know, I love the happening? candid Heidi. You know, you never, you would never hear that on a broadcast no, evening news program. You, you would only know, hear Heidi. that. Honesty is at the best the take policy. Podcast. So speaking of honesty, uh, Mara brought this up, this interesting concept in the fourth district, congressional district, uh, Burgess Owens has some competitors out there ready to run against him. And Nick Huey, I believe he lives in Taylorsville. Yes, he's a Taylorsville resident. He wants to challenge Burgess Owens to sit down to a lie detector test. And I would challenge both of them <laughs> not to do it because I feel like this is going to go poorly in so many different ways. Okay, so Greg and Mara, if we were to sit you down, Greg, first, if we wanted to do a lie detector, that might be a fun take two podcast. So it's a lot of political pageantry. It? it sounds yeah. fun. It's, you know, it's, it seems like it would be interesting, but I, it, it, it does intimidate me. This whole, I don't even understand the whole concept of a lie detector test. It's not admissible in court. You see stories, you hear stories of people that can manipulate them. There was this Mark Hoffman documentary that was on Netflix where he at a young age learned how to manipulate a lie detector test. I just don't, I, I think it'd be great, uh, like I said, political pageantry, but as far as legitimate legitimacy, I don't know. What if, what if this happened? What if I answered a question and I'm like, I think it sounds like a lie, but it's really the truth. But what if they think I'm lying? And I'm thinking that in my head. Does that you come across? It, does the little needle, does knows. the needle spike and say, well, that's a lie? Because I, I, I was worried about my answer. Cause it was kind of right behind you where we watched. I know spiking. I would watch that and I would think, look, it says I'm lying and I'm not. But now I'm freaked out about it, which would make the lines even shake more. So to Nick's credit, he did actually in his interview say, I understand that this is a bit of pageantry. I mean, he said that. Oh, he did? Yeah, he, he acknowledged that. But <laughs> so that actually endeared me more to the idea of like, and, and he brought up the issue that people say admissible. And I think there is an interesting point, though, that anything that politicians and candidates say admissible, no, that's not our threshold. But what an interesting, yeah. I'm going to give him some credit. One, we're talking about it. He got great coverage. And two, he's talking about it while it's a bit of of theater, he's talking about the directness and truthfulness of the candidates. I'd like to saying, have one of these intriguing. lie detector tests just to see how it responds to my truthful answers. If it if it just wigs out because I wig out, then I, I just want to know that that's what's going to happen. I worked, yeah, so I worked at a Fox-owned and operated station in Orlando for about five years before I came here to Utah. And I don't remember, was there a TV show on at some point where they were taking lie detectors. detectors. There was probably some reason, right. but we had a five-hour morning show, and there were light parts of it, and there were serious <laughs> parts. And we had, um, you know, legislators come in. Marco Rubio as one of our guests. So we did a nice. whole range of, like, serious news and lighthearted news. And 
I remember we actually had someone come in who was going to do this lie detector on all of the morning anchors. There was four mm. of us, and we were all prepped and ready to go. Again, I don't remember the reason why we thought this was a good idea, but our news director had been out of town, and all of a sudden he heard about it and ran it past corporate, and they were like, oh, my gosh, make this stop now, because I think they were just worried what might happen when they sat us all down and the truth serum you know, right. started getting poor. But you were so ready? We were ready, and we were all willing to do it, but corporate shut it down they were like this is not if they asked you a totally embarrassing question and the question itself made you kind of blush or feel uncomfortable and you answered honestly but it was like a really embarrassing question if if that thing if that needle started to just wig out because you were internally sweating the the personal nature of the question does that I know. Come I guess that's what they were lie? worried about, and I think we probably had some preset questions. We knew they were going. I don't know if we knew what the mm. questions were, but I think they were worried about the unknown of what might yeah, go wrong. I, so it, I'm like, okay, I can see. It, I, I, I do think stuff. that Mar, you're right. The fact that we're talking about it, it's a, it's a, it's early, and you're there's a candidate out there well done being for a spoken about. So good job. Yeah, yeah. it's go a good Nick. way to get your name out there, so yeah. people know you're running now. Boom. I'll check into the price of a traveling. And if you look at the liberal fact checkers that are out there, they always take opinion as fact or not fact. They'll say, no, that opinion. Well we done. don't think that's well done uh, closing factual that segment. Greg. So, you know, that's, that's the problem with these <laughs> lie detector tests too. If it's a lib doing yeah. it, if you say the sky's blue and they thought it was red, you're going to be considered lying. You're right. Liberals don't lie. You bring up a really good point. No, this liberal thought that the sky was yeah, I got you. Was red. Okay, I want to follow up on the last <laughs> couple of weeks because we've been, I wouldn't say hammering on, but we've been discussing and holding accountable the Salt Lake City Police Department. Uh, Chief Mike Brown hasn't uh, done a lot of interviews of late. This week he did, which was a good thing. Uh, they're talking about response times, and if I recall correctly, it was 17 minutes before they eventually got to uh, the situation where Aaron Lowe was shot and killed. Um, more information was released this week on that. But the interesting part is they are thinking about how they can respond to get their response times down. The goal right now is 10 minutes. And Mara, you said the gold standard is what, three or four? I think four? it's four or four and a half is like the absolute gold standard. Okay, so we have a ways to go for the gold standard. But his idea right now, uh, I want to talk about whether this is good or not. He wants to bring in and hire some officers that are civilians. They're not sworn in. I'm not sure if they will carry heat or not, how that works. <laughs> but uh, most of them will be retired officers. He says he'd have them answer to parking and noise complaints, some of the kind of lower priority calls. My concern, though, is when we're looking at this, and maybe I'm overthinking this just because we're thinking the Aaron Lowe case, his call came in multiple times first. Six. Yeah, as Six noise complaints. And then the noise complaint we that turned into the shooting, if all of this information is correct and it's only witnesses, hasn't gone to trial yet, the witnesses are saying that it was over a parking dispute, like moving a car and trying to leave where the shooting happened. So is it a good idea to have civilians go into these things on a normal basis? Mara, is it going to be okay to send possibly unarmed civilian officers to check out noise complaints or you never know what you're going to get yourself into. From my seat, this idea has so many problems with it, starting first and foremost with once again the chief punting his responsibilities to sort of a brainstorming. So if I were – so I've been an employer for 20 years. I've, I've been a boss. And if my one of my highest paid employees came to me after I had given them – equal resources that have ever been given this department after I had given them the means and test and they came to me and said, hey, I was just uh, brainstorming and I thought I'd bring some volunteers in. So Brown's one of the highest paid people in the city. And my expectation as a 
as a taxpayer in the city is that he has the resources. We have more resources. We've kept up with police resourcing as we've grown as a city. And uh, so first and foremost, I would say, again, I think we lack some leadership in putting down markers. The police department has the means that they need to get the levels down already. And so for him to sort of want additional resources as his only answer to administration, I think is completely lacking leadership. So first, I think it's fundamentally flawed that one of the highest paying employees doesn't know how to fix his own problems. And you see that in... So you don't like this idea that he's brainstorming. Well, he riffed it a little. He was like, oh, we're not sure why it's so high. Well, so I have a problem with an administrator not knowing that. But then you brought up a couple of other key issues that I think are really important, which is um, retired officers are in a protected class in which they can still carry weapons. They, they, I mean, everyone mm, can get a concealed yeah. carry, but yeah. they can carry yep. weapons. So we would need directive on your sending in their own defense, you're sending someone out there who, while has been trained, may lack current training. Now you've allowed them to carry, and now you may have put them in a potentially harmful incident. And you're allowing them to carry, and you say it's low level, but as you say, that's the challenge with policing, is you don't know what things will happen when they happen. And then just, I'm just going to be cheeky at the end that says it's interesting that a retired police officer says to himself or herself, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to start back at an entry-level position and or lower issue even. parking tickets. You retire and then you go double dip <laughs> and you work at another police force. Right. Well, yeah, we st- we stopped that in Utah, but oh, like, you can't do that anymore. But no. um, but I Not mean, it's the an interesting. Side, you just don't contribute to the fund, right? Mm, it's okay. just an interesting idea that someone who would be someone we w- would want to do this job would want to come back. And do that street level. I think this is, has so many flaws, starting with the fact that he apparently doesn't know how to use his internal resources already to solve this problem. We're at an unrecognizable high. He threw out as a, an acceptable charge a 10-minute response time, which i that's what he's aspiring to. And I would just really ask them to go back to the old standards that mayors and chiefs have set out for um, responding response call services that we have had in Salt Lake. And I think if we had better leadership, we would again. And, and you've mentioned that, that that's, if you want to be the best at what you do, or even if, if the gold standard is the four and a half minute response time. And if you're aspiring to 10 minutes and you've basically conceded any kind of excellence in the job or, you know, doing it as, as good as possible, you're just saying, hey, boy, when I love to do twice that, gold standard or beats twice as slow as what's the considered the best standard. You're at standard. 17 and you only want to reduce to 10 yeah, and I'm just I, saying mediocrity you don't strive for. Well look I, I just think it lowers the bar of law enforcement in a time and in a, in, a, in a profession that needs our full support. It needs to be adequately compensated for given that it's inherently dangerous. The crime stats that are coming out show that there's more violent crime happening nationwide, not unique to Utah, but it's it's tough. It's hard. You also have the conversations, the social, political uh, world where where law enforcement's all oftentimes p- painted as the bad guy. Uh, what kind of job do you want to be in that's already dangerous, that doesn't pay very well, where you're the bad guy? Do you want to stay in that job? And who would like to aspire to be enter a career where those kind of narratives are going on? you can say, oh, I got an idea. I'm just going to ask retired people to start answering, you know, disturbance calls. Well, those disturbance calls, as you've pointed out, Heidi, could become or are potentially very, very dangerous. We do not want to see, I don't think public safety will be protected if we lower the bar for law enforcement. They have the resources they need. 
something else is going on here. And I believe it is that that profession and public safety, law enforcement need to feel that they are supported by those who hire them, that they are on the team and on the side of the public. And if that's better training, if that's articulating what they already do in a better and more effective way, I I believe that you have to raise the bar and you have to do better. And this idea that you're just going to hire retired people and let in and just, it's just, it's a cop out. It's an absolute cop out. But I wouldn't just blame, I wouldn't put it just on the shoulders of Chief Brown. He's a kept man. He is, he has a mayor that can fire him tomorrow or tonight if she desired to do so. He can't make the mayor mad and all the politics that she, she espouses can't offend any of that. So I think this goes to the whole city. The whole city has to stare at itself, a mayor and a council, and say, how do you want this city? How do you want public safety prioritized or even administered in the city of Salt Lake? It's, it's not just Chief Brown here. It's all of them. I would be nervous living, I guess, thinking about the response times in Salt Lake City right now. I haven't had many opportunities or when I've wanted to call 911, but when you do, it's usually because you're having a really bad day and you want help there fast. My home was burglarized once, and when I called... I didn't realize it at the time, but I had gone back into my house and I think the people heard me and left. Mm -hmm. And when I think about it, um, police in my city responded very quickly, but if they had still been in there, um, that would have been really scary. And we learned down the road that these were people that were, um, they were like a gang of criminals. This is what they did. They carried weapons. And I'm thinking, you know, if they're like, well, it's already done and gone, we'll get to our house in 15 minutes, but they were really still there. You know, there's all these different little pieces of the puzzle that you don't know at the time when someone calls. And if you get a civilian officer that only has so much ability to do something, and then they have to call for another backup call to come help. It's just, it makes me nervous. And and here's a, here's a reality. I, I, these things that happened in my business, but I hadn't really paid attention to my businesses in Salt Lake city. My business was the victim of two felonies, uh, unrelated, two completely separate, unrelated, but both felony crimes committed against my business. And there is zero hope that any one of those crimes will ever be investigated or that those that committed the crimes will be found. It's just, it's, there's no expectation. There's no belief that any of that's going to be resolved. So we know that whatever they, they told you, they don't have time to oh, do it. No, there's just, and they don't. And, and you know it, and it's just kind of the reality of the world we live in. So think about how much crime goes unreported. Okay. I'm just one person here. I don't believe in the silver bullet theory that the only time anything's ever happened, it's been when I've seen it. If it's happening to me, it's happening quite often, I believe. So if I'm, if my business has been the, the has been the victim of two different felony crimes uh, in the last two and a half months, and I know for fact uh, that there is no adjudicating or getting to the finding the people, the culprits that did it. Um, that's going on a lot. And, and so I'm forget an what they're reporter. charging. Call me up. I'll help you out. I'm an investigative that's psycho right. and I won't oh, yeah. stop. Oh yeah. I Mike got, Berkeley, I've got all kinds thing. of videotapes. I, I think yeah. they were kind of like, mm, it happens. Yeah. And it, I mean, from my house, it was 10,000 from another neighbor's. It was 10,000, you know, Those are um, yeah, but, my, that's but, real amounts. But you're somebody broke into your house. they, came into the sanctity of your home. They take, you know, things from it. And my burglary, I knew they weren't going to do anything about it. So I, someone had stolen my wallet from inside the house too. So I found out where they spent the money. I started calling like fashion place mall where they spent the money, asked nice. if they had video cameras. I tracked stuff down. And Did they you event- catch them? Oh yeah. We, they eventually ended up in court. Um, they didn't spend a lot of time well, there. Well, shame but, on me. I'm just was, not. Yeah. There was like a dozen burglaries. They were, um, 
this group were connected to in my area, and then there were a couple from their group that had been charged in Utah County for the same thing. So, anyhow, I was super proud of myself. I I caught those little buggers. That's impressive. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, Maybe SLCPD. We hear is taking on some volunteers. Hey, they yeah. do so, have. Yeah. They're not. They just I'll, paid I'll it at like out. a civilian rate. And okay, all I need so. is a rent a cop too, because the guy who helped me solve it was somebody who worked for Nordstrom, who was one of their security officers. Oh wow! And recognized the person off the tape because he read a magazine called Busted. Do you know what that is? No, I don't think they have it anymore because we don't release mugshots but it's like a magazine you get at 7-eleven where it's just mugshots which my quality of life has been lowered since they stopped doing that because those mugshots were epic i mean they were some of the funniest scenes you have ever seen in your life i loved that publication he's like oh yeah i know her and we tracked that bad girl down and the rest of her friends and that was the end of that. So anyhow, Salt Lake City, we do look forward to more of your ideas. I think the ideas, verdict on take two listen. is that's not a good idea. No, but I, I want to hear more consensus. about your felony cases, and we're going to catch those. Oh, I'll, yeah. I'm going to put you on the hunt. Guys. I've got video, too. I'm like Dog the Bounty Hunter, except for like Heidi. <laughs> I don't know what. I got to come up with a Sorry, you, that doesn't sell. There's <laughs> no there's no, there's no, comparison. Sorry. All right. Uh, this is a serious issue. Um, I wanted to talk about it last week, but I wanted to wait and see kind of what shook out and what came out, and not a lot did. Spencer Cox um, sent out, a, I guess, a press release or a statement on Twitter last week about some assault allegations inside of his campaign for governor. There was an inside investigation. Uh, Austin Cox, who ran his campaign, um, was put on leave while they did this inside investigation, and then he was let go. Um, Austin Cox's attorney replied and said that this was a relationship that was you know, between two adults and this was baseless. I want to talk to both of you a little bit about what has or hasn't been said, because if I were the Cox campaign and governor, I think I'd be happy that I think everyone's moved on. They're not talking about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, who, Greg, let's start with you on this. Austin Cox, for people who don't know a lot about him, he really was kind of hooked at the hip, the right-hand man of the governor. Yes. When he was running, he was a big part of his Cox and Friends podcast. It just, I always thought they were family until in his statement, he very clearly said so they it's, weren't. So it's a serious situation, but I, I, I sometimes take serious situations and make light of them to make everyone more relaxed sometimes. So I've been joking that the gentleman's name is Austin Cox, no relation. It's like one word, Austin Cox, no relation. Now, the reason why they keep saying that Austin Cox is no relation to the governor is because of these serious allegations that have been uh, leveled against Austin Cox, who was young. He's in his 20s, I believe, and he was the campaign manager. Although uh, we don't technically know what the specific allegations are. It says sexual misconduct, which yeah. is, is a broad uh, term. But uh, never did never was Austin's name... Austin Cox, no relation until now. It was always Austin Cox, and no one really ever made that distinction prior to the most recent information. So, but now it's it's repeated quite uh, quite often everywhere that he's not related to the governor. But um, th- this is what I, I I'm interested. I'm just curious about, and that is, you know, the workplace. Uh, we talk about you know the, how people feel how women will be treated how people are feel is it a hostile work environment is it one where uh, people have equal opportunity and it, it, your your talents carry you and carry the day or are there other issues going on that that make the workplace uh, not safe and not a good place to work it was interesting in that campaign to hear that that internal investigation not only seemed to have it was internal and it was private so it's not like a formal investigation went on but it seemed to have uh, corroborated or substantiated the allegations against austin cox but then it went on to say that it found other occasions or other instances where 
uh, mistreatment had occurred to, and I can't remember the exact verbiage they used, but it was, it was uh, that there was select members of this cat staff or, or of the office were not treated well. So it wasn't, it doesn't sound like it was a very safe or positive work environment, which would be very contrary to the brand and to the message of that respective campaign. Now, look, I'm not crying. I was in that campaign and they beat me. So I'm not complaining about the race itself, but I will say that did there he is handle an, it well, though? Did he, well, when he found out about it, I, investigate it and make it end? The, the, the consensus is yes, but the fundamental question that's never been answered is, how was, was, was it a hostile or toxic work environment? And if so, when was the governor aware? I mean, it's his comp. It's his. A campaign is a company. It's a. It's an endeavor. I know. I know what my relationship was with the with my campaign and staff and what everybody's doing at the same time. If if it was a hostile or toxic work environment, when was that known? And and if it wasn't known, there is a question of why. So I, a I mean, a couple of themes I keep thinking and and enjoying the seat at the moment as play by play. Right. So I first want to acknowledge we're just watching and commenting, but. Two things. One is from a crisis management point of view, I think the Cox camp hit it out of the park. They did classic management. You get out early, you frame the debate, you're the first one to speak about it, you frame up what the issue is, and then more importantly, you make a value statement, which they did very strongly. We don't support this kind of behavior. We we uh, sort of the questions that Greg have they pre they tried to preempt those yes. by saying I hey, don't listen, disagree with anything you said. No, I, I think know you're you right. don't. But like just from play by play, interesting. Yep. They did they 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 enacted classic. Uh, communications crisis protocols. They went out early, they framed it, they value statement, they supported themselves, they pushed out, and then they backed away and nothing happened. Now I'm going to switch gears and say, And had okay, a busy week of good things going and on where they were giving mental health leave to the filled administration. that vacuum, and right? Yeah. And then we have this interesting environment, maybe it's great, maybe it's not in Utah, where I'm going to say press, but I mean that small p, like yeah. observation, where we don't press into these things. And we, so yeah. part of crisis communication is having a good strategy, and then part of it is how does the environment around you, do they let you get away with that? Do they ask for more questions? It was interesting that Cox... Austin Cox, no relation. Austin is, Cox, no relation. Is not leaning into it. He he objected. He said, "Hey, none of this is true." But he, he has asked asked for an interview, right. and, and we have not had a response. His attorney acted yeah. like he wanted to speak, but that was last week. And so but I do think it's, the, the I, and I think it's worth mentioning for for right. Austin Cox, no relations benefit that the, that there was a formal statement put out by his uh, his attorney. I take it. Uh, that said that there was, there's two sides of the story and, and regretted that this narrative and the way this was done uh, came out the way it did where he did not feel like his side of the story was able to be shared or that he is playing defense so quickly. So it doesn't look like he's going down quietly. It looks like he at least wants to fight back and say, yeah. well, but I the have a different side of the story. He needed to have done that by now. Yeah. And so in Utah, we tend to let up on those things. We don't want to chase him down. Why there. is that? I mean, it I is know, true that if you like check those say, boxes, is it over? The cycle's gone? I, I mean, hope not. And is that with everybody or is it just some that get trying, that treatment? We've been trying, but it's an interesting problem because in Utah, you can make a grandma request where that's essentially where you can go in and get government documents you can right. ask for key phrases in emails and they have to send them to you but because this was a campaign issue not an it's issue inside the, the governor's yeah. office you can't really grandma request that and the campaign we could ask them for comment but the only person who was left from the campaign really was austin cox right so there's it's really like a perfect scenario for them not to have to share information 
Austin Cox isn't speaking. The person who was the accuser doesn't want to speak. Right. And so what we're left with are people who may be working with them now or know what's going on. And so it's a tough one to get after. Uh, the interesting thing is, as you guys pointed out last week, we were talking about this, that he was running for vice chair of the party and the governor was pushing hard for him to do that. Luckily for the governor, he lost, and he doesn't have to remove him from that post, or they don't have to go through that whole situation I've because him to resign that would create a bigger problem. Uh, for the he party, did not certainly. win. Yeah, and he's been so. Austin Cox is also we should acknowledge on his behalf, I guess that, and maybe deservedly so, has been cut out of a lot of the deals he had. So he was released from a lobbying firm he was trying to make a deal with. He lost well, five or yeah. six contracts. For those of you who are wonky enough to know that every lobbyist in the state of Utah has to list all their clients on the lieutenant governor of the elections website. He has he has deleted all of those clients as he is required to do. So we know so we who know he's clients? lost. I didn't actually look that uh, up. With some tech firms and yeah, Google one of, was, he was one. Google. Okay, uh, yeah, some, some and others. he lost four or five. Uh, and and we know he's been cut out of it, a lobbying deal. And we do know that as happens all the time and is not necessarily, I'm not trying to shade this as nefarious, but the winner, his, his, uh, his closest right-hand man opens a shop. And so he's, he was successful yeah, the, the, in getting a lot of contracts. So sometimes when we talk about this, we, we get a little bit into inside baseball. Let me just say for listeners, uh, this kid was a juggernaut. Okay. He's in his twenties. He had worked on the Gary Herbert reelection campaign, the psych, the, the, the president or the gubernatorial cycle before, but didn't, and didn't enjoy a high ranking staff position. Uh, but he was in charge of of, of Spencer Cox's race. And that was a tough, I would argue that was a very tough race. Good candidates in the race. I'd just say it was a hard race. They if you won. do say so for yourself. If I do say so <laughs> myself. And uh, look, Governor Huntsman, former governor of our state is in that race and they, and they win. Austin Cox, uh, having won that race, had incredible uh, SWAT and political capital coming out of that. The governor was not shy about his appreciation of his campaign manager. It was not just by happenstance that he was going to take over a, a, a lobbying firm and purchase that. And then these clients were coming and his trajectory in politics in Utah was straight up. So, and a lot of that was hand in glove with the governor being very supportive of his campaign manager, furthering his career in politics and in, in lobbying. So that was all going up and we're just 10 months into this new administration, but all of that was uh, was a green light and going up for Austin Cox, very young. And then this comes out, and you, it you know we don't see things like this very often. And it was a complete <laughs> door slam, very public separation. We don't. They were betrayed. They don't. They don't support it. And all the boxes that Mara just described were checked. However, um, you, you don't see that very often, where someone that it was so supportive and so close to the governor. Um, and probably young, and maybe that's part of the problem here, but he he had a, a trajectory you don't see very often, and that has been uh, a change. And so does it, is it a, is the story all done? Are we all finished? Or is there more to say? What you know, happens next? I, hit on I don't a key, know. Unless Austin Cox is willing to have the discussion, it it's really hard because you're moving to these kind of hearsay, funky things. It's like things. he said, she said yeah, stuff. And there's who, nothing on the and record And there's nothing anywhere. substantive there. So yeah. it's interesting that, you know, what would the playbook would tell you that Austin Cox needed to get into play this week and have his part of the story. He is also petitioning through his sort of through his lawyer that – there's more to tell, and he didn't even have access to the investigation, which is a weird position because I'm like, then 
I would say to Austin, you better lean into this. If you if you want to be a part of this discussion, I think it's going to be really hard for the press to further this because it's he said, she said. Well, that's, and, yeah. and, and I've been the, texting a few people, but I haven't yeah. come up with anyone who wants to discuss I think the, the issue, reality right? is uh, if, if if this if this young man has any interest in being in policy uh, and lobbying, uh, government relations, campaigns and elections, any of these things, uh, his strongest asset would now be the I think complete deal killer for him to stay in this arena, mm-hmm. uh, where he was so close to the governor. You you can't read anything but that would be the complete yeah. opposite now. Uh, where he goes from here, if he's ready for a complete career change and he's not going to be involved in and lobbying or campaigns and elections, then he can move on. But if he has any thought of staying involved, then what Mara described, he's on the clock. I mean, you have to do something to allow people to see that there is a a different side of that story. And interestingly enough, in, I think it was just March of this year when there was the whole hullabaloo around Scott Miller, uh, GOP officials were coming out against him and saying, you know, we've got to distance ourselves. And he, Austin Cox, if you go through his Twitter account, um, he, I don't know if he specifically tweeted about it, but he retweeted other people who were saying, you know, I'm disgusted, I'm embarrassed, you know, he can't be a part of our party. So even just a few months ago, Austin Cox uh, was taking a very strong standpoint against any kind of right, behavior uh, like that. I got to tell you, and it was the, the, the person that they were going after wasn't the one that was being accused of the misconduct. It was the person whose watch the misconduct occurred. On which is kind of, if you think about it, since you brought it up, the, the the person that they were asking to resign was the chair of the of the Salt Lake County Republican Party. That individual was not accused of doing anything wrong. What that individual was accused of is allowing for this toxic environment to go unaddressed and unchanged while that person was the chair, and it was someone else that was doing the harassing in that case. And so, I you know by that logic. If, if it's the person at the top, I mean, that, that logic ought to keep on running, but it's, I don't know, it's, I don't think it is, and who am I to say otherwise, but it's, there's not the, it's not the same. I mean, if you're criticizing a, a party chair that he allowed certain conduct to go on while he was party chair, then, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the biggest question we're left with right now is who knew what and when, and... Yeah, I mean, yeah. if if no one knew anything, then how can you can, how can you respond to something you know you don't have a single clue about, right? Yeah. So I just think that's a an, an easy question that could be it, it shouldn't be a hard question to answer. So I don't know, but maybe the window for those questions and that it's those closing. inquiries have closed. I mean, right? It's over, a, there's right? A there's nothing to talk about. Tactic so. to this that so far I yeah. think Governor Cox has done well. Yes, so we'll see um, what happens, if anything, from there. Uh, My ballots came in the mailbox today. It's always exciting when it comes. So I'm like, ooh, the yellow envelope is here. But the other day, uh, Salt Lake County, and I think several counties have been posting videos about trying to make sure that people know how ranked choice voting works. Our ballots look a little different. Interestingly enough, I post it on my Facebook page just because I figure people who are voting might want to review and understand how it works. Because if you haven't done it before, it's a little weird and it may Mm -hmm. be confusing. And the only comments on there were people who said uh, ranked choice voting is intended to manipulate outcomes. What a joke. This is just another progressive voting tactic. I've never seen a Republican win when it gets past the first stage. Only Democrats going to steal some more elections. Another person says one person, one vote. It's a Soros-funded scam. So 
I don't know if this was just a few people who are like, this is garbage or what the reaction will be. Mara, what are you hearing? Are people excited about this possibility or are they like, I don't know. And interestingly, this is I've heard more excitement and confusion, right? People, it, it's a new system. It's hard to know if you're doing it right, so to speak, right? You're not sure if you're, you're onto it. I will debunk. Greg can disagree, but you know, this is not particularly partisan. There are states that are very red that do it, states that are very blue. Um, they, this has not traditionally belonged to one party over another. And ranked choice at its heart, at its best, and you could argue it doesn't do it, but at its best, is an equalizer. It allows you to not have a zero sum game of my person or nobody. It allows you to say, huh, these two people I'm interested in. If I didn't get this person, I would want this person. And what's interesting about it from what we have read, if you read the poli-sci journals, once you get used to the system, it has a really high um, likability rate. People really like it once they feel like they get it. I think it's not intuitive at the beginning, and I think there's a high degree of which you don't get the part where you're picking everybody, or you don't have to, but yeah. you have multiple yeah. choices in it. So one of the things I'm excited about is we've dabbled, right? This is our second cycle, and uh, but we've had ones and twosies. This year we have, I should have, 27 or 17. We have, there's we have a more. lot, there's of, a lot of different municipalities. So we'll yeah. know, I love, I love starting this out at a municipal level. I I know, and Greg would know this better, I know the state philosophically has been discussing it for a while, and I love starting at a municipal level. I think that that eases citizens into it. Local issues have some clarity to them. They have more direct relation to the personalities and the yes. people who are running, and I like that as a starting place. I would be open to the idea in a, in a cycle or two about having a statewide discussion. So I think I, statewide, before you go, yeah. I think, interesting, my mind always, municipal, I think it's sometimes harder to understand all the issues and all the people unless they're knocking on your door. But the two places where I found it to be an interesting possibility was the Salt Lake mayoral race that we had recently because we had so many um, good candidates. Right. And I think people really knew the issues and where they stood. And then in your race, too, when you were running for governor, I think yeah. people knew the candidates they knew i think you could like stand you on a line left to right and right to left where you like stood on the spectrum sure. and how people felt about you where i felt like that was a good place where you could rank choice through the different gubernatorial candidates saying okay first second third fourth fifth so i can see where it could work. I, and i followed that logic too i i it, that's not lost did you on put me. yourself in like first second, well i just third. had you know like <laughs> I'll, I'll just be very candid i i had some people that said i wanted to vote for you but i didn't think you were close enough in the polls when it was time to vote so i didn't want a particular candidate to they win so i voted for the you. other one that looked closer in the polls so it's like an anti and i've heard it yeah so I, and i've heard yeah. it from the two candidates that were above me in the in the numbers they were they were people that didn't want either one of them to win so they were picking the other of the two um, ranked choice voting would allow you to vote to to be able to pick your tier of who you'd prefer and i think that under that scenario um anyway that i so that some of those issues resonate with me in my own personal experience in a in a campaign a statewide campaign election i will tell you this is my problem with the whole thing though watching the municipal that you know races play out so the dry run i think has shown us a couple things in the sandy city race you've got a couple married couples that are running mm -hmm. i That's think that is said, a purpose I, I didn't see the names did they, they get, are i think they, are they still I, in there yeah i, I think they are while, i'll have to look thought, but, okay but you but the whole the whole point of a marriage of two people from one household running is is to take great better advantage of a ranked choice voting so that you pick 
one person from that household and the next person from the household so you can kind of keep that ranked choice and, and gather those votes at a higher degree. And I don't know how you safeguard against that in ranked choice voting. My other issue uh, with it is what we saw, and because I think that the camp, the integrity of campaigns and elections is a, more of a national story now, uh, the New York City mayoral race uh, had some real problems with its ranked choice voting. Do you remember what happened there? To the shock of everyone, the pro-law enforcement, former uh, New York City police officer candidate, crushed everybody in the range in the votes mm. and you have you have andrew yang who also ran for president who who's a numbers guy who absolutely understood that the percentage that he had received and the and the ballot results they got even with ranked choice and how they there's an algorithm you gotta you gotta you know th- there has to be a system there that puts those together he was he dropped out of the race that and he conceded that night because he saw the different percentages and he said there's no statistical way you can get close to to the candidate that won tonight. And so I think two or three candidates dropped out that night, given the lead that was the first night's vote, where they applied the ranked choice voting and how it the lead had grown. The next day, they bring out the results, and the MSNBC you know, lawyer that does the commentary, mm-hmm. who was also a candidate, who a lot of the Manhattan types liked, but those that were really suffering from the law enforcement didn't, her numbers magically went straight through the roof and was so close. And everyone started to say to Andrew Yang, why did you drop out so soon? Look, this is actually a race. Well, he said, it's not. I don't know what those numbers mean. Come to find out, their board of elections said, you know what? We left 120,000 sample ballots into the mix. And oops, we're sorry. And it's just, that's the problem. Therein lies the the problem. The idea that the the algorithm is always going to work, that when you let those things happen, they're always going to be, done with absolute fidelity and commitment to the to the uh, to the actual results of the voters it's in question and i don't like it's why you have poll watchers it's why you have people that count votes mm-hmm. when you have the way you tabulate votes that are outside the eye of those that should be able to watch a transparent process it plants seeds of doubt and it doesn't make it any better when in a in a race of Democrats in a New York City's mayor, mayor race, you find there's major problems. And you have to ask the question out loud, if everybody wasn't watching because we're sensitive of the topic right now, and if you didn't have such high-profile candidates like Andrew Yang going, uh, your math doesn't work here, there's something wrong, would they have found so that our, they accidentally had 100,000-plus sample ballots in the mix? Our election's not in question. Our system's not in question. We've never it's seen widespread. It's only as good as the people that operate it. We've never seen it's, widespread it's, You, you, want, the, you want to protect fraud. the system. You don't want to indict Hyperbole any person. You want a system. not in play. So let's ground ourselves again to Utah. Utah's, Mara, Utah I'm using, I'm Utah using, a, I'm using an example. Had Utah's never had a voter prep problem. Let me tell you what Utah's problem is. We've never done ranked choice voting before. I'm just saying. Usually our problem that's signed for their kids. Usually what Utah's largest problem is, is voter apathy. Because we think we know the expected outcome. We live in a Dem district. You elected Dem. We're kind of bored. If you listen to, I, I have read so many polling and research that just says we don't think it's competitive we don't think it's engaging we're not paying the attention we need to pay and i do think and again specifically for municipalities ranked choice voting makes it more interesting for the voter they have more choices there's a reason to read all the candidate bios and not just the person you think's going to win or not just the neighbor you know and i just think for municipal elections we may find we don't like it 
uh, that's fair. But I think it is a terrific experiment. And the number one reason to do it is to engage more voters. The chain of custody in, in, your, in, a, in, a, in a registered voter casting their vote is absolutely critical. When we did the electronic voting, I was part of the committee that helped choose what kind of electronic voting we would do. The window that would show the paper trail of your electronic vote that mm-hmm. would come up and you could see it. It was one that you could you could audit. You could check and make sure that the votes that came in would correspond and you could randomly sample to make sure that the paper trail matched the reported outcome. So the, the, the chain of custody is absolutely essential. When you get into ranked choice, you don't have that paper trail as clear. Or if there is one, we have to educate the voters of what that paper trail right. looks like but Greg, to you validate were a part of that Help outcome. America vote it has Act. to happen. And and Utah has always I mean the big the big change in voting was when we did the Help America vote and we were yes. switching, right? We were going to electronic and this is I don't know, you and I are older, 12 years ago or something like that. It was after the the Bush v. Gore race in 2000. And so the integrity of, if anyone's going to experiment is Utah, because the integrity that we have had with our clerk and elections office and the legislature, and part of it is, I think, in Utah has not been particularly driven by partisanship. People have tried to get to best technology, best practices. Yes. And so I am, again, for this experiment to see if this increases voter turnout and has confidence in the system on which we have never not the, had the confidence The chain of custody is absolutely system. essential. Sure. And I think that people are more, sen- rightfully so, more sensitive about that chain of custody and how when you cast a vote of conscience and you are a legal voter and you don't want that canceled out by a fraudulent vote, how does that vote that you cast make its way and be counted lawfully and accurately and i think that Lost the county we have to absolutely county. she's good she can she's answer good. these questions you have yeah. to really stare at those things and make sure that those and if those if those details if all those boxes have been checked great we gotta we gotta get that word out and make sure people know i will say all the signatures checked. get checked my son a new voter when he was 18 signed his voter registration form okay. differently than his ballot and his ballot got kicked out and so we knew that you got to be consistent with the way that you sign um, yeah. those things but you can also change the sensitivity on on that, how the when it goes through the feed and when they look at it, if it's super strict or if it has a, a degree Humans of are a margin of error. Those. I think they're looking so for a slant. And I, I want to end this by just saying your ballots are in your hands right now, so go vote and go tell everybody else It's to vote. true. And while I've been listening yes, to you guys, vote. I've been trying to fact check Greg because there's a ton of people running for Sandy Mayor. None of them have the same last name, which doesn't mean they're I not married. I so i got to figure it out because you said that before. I looked. I and I see too. Councilwoman Monica Zelansky, Mark yeah. Whiting, Jim Bennett, uh, Chris Nickel, Mike Applegrath, Linda Seville. You've got lots of options. Donna Jensen. Ro- oh, wait. There you go. Donna and Roger Jensen. I missed that when I was reading it silently in my head. See, that was a Patricia typical media Jones. fact check right there. See, okay, I right there. I just myself. proved it on Take Two Podcast. This was a fact <laughs> check. I got fact checked as false. I had the Pinocchio nose, hair on fire, liar, liar. And then guess what? My pants I was were right. on fire. Jeez. Now, if we had a polygraph. Total right victim of the fake news media. Oh my gosh. And then Mayor Kurt Bradburn. So there is one that has matching last names. All right. I'm going to have to go talk to these guys and see if that's what they're trying By to the do. By the way, you want to know, well, you know the, what the some of the clerks, the you want to know why some of the clerks love ranked choice the voting? Jensen's. You know why they love it? Because they don't have to have a primary. 
And that's why some of them love it. It's not that it's better. It's not that it's a better way to You're vote. You're hating it's on ranked choice, it's Greg. Cha- it's, it, it skips primaries. He might have been one of these people on my Facebook this page. This is new for it. him. This is a new direction. It's true. I, 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 I worry about it. I, I honestly, I'm genuine. I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud here. I'm just okay. telling you, I genuinely okay. worry about the chain of custody and how those algorithms get applied and how it all works. It's just, you it, know, it is another thing we I just like old school to voting. people's questions because I think people want to know what happens. By the way, can I just say this for our, because we have smart listeners. If you're listening to the show, you care about the, the details true. this whole vote america act that gave us these the money for electronic machines everybody bought the diebold electronic machine and then they went out of business and then there was zero dollars to replace them and so huh. vote by mail in many ways was a practical solution to the fact that no one could get the the electronic machines. voting machines for all the precincts so they yeah. had to think of something else yeah so you know, the, some of the the changes in vote by mail. I do like voting. In my some of it's a practical reality mm-hmm. that the the electronic machines didn't exist I'm anymore. I'm okay now because they send me the sticker. I was bitter about not getting. I'm it. telling I was you too. I liked the pomp yeah. and circumstance of I actually showing up on the actual right. day I don't, to vote. I would like to see. I'm I'm actually paranoid now about the drop off places. So I used to take my my vote in ballot. Paranoid in and general. Dro- I am. I would drop it into the bin that was at the city hall so that it didn't go through the U.S. Postal Service. I'm but not now, paranoid. But I still do that because it's the closest I can feel to pomp and circumstance at that right. point. Right. Like I agree with home, you. But this is my problem official. with that. There's no time stamp on that. So that doesn't mean that the one you dropped in was wrong. But if you have a stack of ballots that never have any stamp of when they were ever received, it worries me that you could have other ballots. Right. So I'm just anyone, talking systems, not people. If anyone wants to know where Grace systems. Hughes looks, lives, look for There's the black There's no tinfoil on my head. I'm just saying, if you have <laughs> a certain number of, of mail-in ballots that never had a timestamp because they were said to have been dropped off, how hard would it be to have other ballots with no timestamp that you could uh, that you could claim were simply dropped off? I you gotta have a, again chain of custody. Is it did it get dropped off and was it submitted within the window of time you're supposed to vote? That's what you want. You want all those safeguards in place. That is a good question, and we're going to safeguard them. And so here we go. We are running out of time here. Uh, so we're going to have to talk about uh, Kirk Colomore's bill to clean up Utah's air. I know you're very excited to talk about what you're calling yes. his Green New Deal. We'll do that next week. AOC but before we bill. leave, but I'm it's gonna, not. He's Senator Colomore. It looks like he's just, he has a, he has a, save it because we talked okay. so long. All right. Let's so celebrate you can tell him us, later. But I do want to post a picture for you online. You can go to KUTV.com. Uh, last week, we talked about um, Evan McMullen getting into the race, clown kind of show, independent against Senator show. Mike Lee. We've got a couple it's, it's other real, he's more not a real moderate options, right. and then a picture comes out of a fundraiser with uh, former Governor John Huntsman, and uh, it looks like he's got support from maybe more moderate Republicans, which is going to make for a very Senator interesting yeah, race. Well, yeah, like he supported a shocking him. Shocking photo. They're, yeah, they're I was quite surprised to see this photo of. Huntsman supporting yeah. Michael. So that, I'll post that online. It's a logical. Seen it yet. He was his. He was his legal counsel when he was governor. There's a strong friendship there. A strong, oh, so, strong so they know friendship. Each other, just they like do. we they have here. They know friendship. each other as leaders. I'm glad we could all be together today, and we'll be talking clean air next Quit week. We know like you're that, so excited. You know. Hey, it's Halloween. Which hackles are us? <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.